Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 14, Tackling the Gender Gap in Mathematics with Cameron Stewart. Welcome back, everyone, to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. And um, I'm pleased to say that we've got a guest who we promised you before Christmas uh, we would get on to have a deep discussion. In fact, I think we had two ideas uh, for this uh, guest that we've got today. Um, So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to our colleague and friend, Cameron Stewart. Welcome back. Hi, everyone. Yes, and if you didn't get to speak, to, didn't get to hear Cameron telling us about his traumatic experience with Fyman Sam, I would recommend <laughs> that you uh, go back to our Christmas episode and have a listen because it was a fairly classic conversation. But we're going to have something a little bit more academic, a little bit more uh, substantial today, aren't we, Cameron? Because you're here with your maths hat on. Yes, absolutely. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about the impact of gender on the performance in mathematics, Brilliant. which is which is really interesting, obviously, and, and obviously it can span across various subjects as well. So. So we're going to dial back a little bit because you did some research in this important area back when you were working for Central South Consortium. And for those listeners out there who have no idea about what our regional consortia do, uh, can you just give us an indication of, of what the role of educational consortia is more broadly and what your role was at that time? Yeah, sure. So uh, within Wales, obviously, there's, there's four uh, regional consortia sort of basically a, a central south which is sort of Cardiff and surrounding areas which is um, the consortia that I worked for then there's uh, a consortia over to the east um, around Newport consortia over to the west around Swansea and then a uh, consortia up in, in in the north so our consortia the central south it's geographically the smallest but it has the most number of schools uh, it also has the the school with the highest level of free school meals the lowest level of free school meals it's a real melting pot of fantastic schools and, and students. So I was the mathematics advisor for the local area. There was 58 secondaries that we were responsible for and the outcomes in mathematics. And this project was born on the back of that because when we actually looked at the data, we realized that um, across the consortium, across those 58 schools, there was no gender gap whatsoever. But of course, when you actually get into the individual schools, you, we found that there was as much of a 25% um, difference in performance at Key Stage 4 in those schools. So basically, those, um, those schools were being hidden across the 58 when, when we looked at the whole consortia. Fascinating. Um, and I guess that's an important message there about looking, drilling down into the data and, and not reading that kind of big data at face value. But I mean, we want to get into the nitty gritty of, of, first of all, some of the issues that you and the teachers you were working with were observing in this area that gave rise to an action research project. So what issues of gender imbalance in mathematics were, were teachers experiencing and were learners experiencing? Yes. Yeah, so just to kind of just wind back just a tiny bit, if that's OK, I mean, just to give a little bit of context on it. So, I mean, how we identified the, the schools was we identified schools that their data in year nine was indicating that there was a, 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 a gender imbalance in, in performance. So we actually went and spoke to those schools and actually you know, asked the question you just asked me, what, what are you actually seeing? And, uh, and what they were saying was, well, some schools didn't actually realise that there was a, um, a, a gender imbalance that was potentially going to come through to Key Stage 4. But the ones that did, um, for boys 
in particular, there was the classics of sort of poor attitude to learning, um, lack of independence, lack of engagement, and some poor organisational skills were were the things that came through to us um, from the teachers in those schools. And then in the schools that we identified that were interesting in looking at the performance of girls, what the, the teacher said to us was a lack of confidence in their ability um, to actually solve the mathematics and multi-step problems. Lower expectations amongst parents and teachers, higher levels of anxiety towards the subject, um, and just a little bit more likely to say, I'm just not good at math, this is just not for me. Um, the other interesting one was the sort of less willingness to engage in the trial and error process required within mathematics. So these were the sort of things that um, our group wanted to look at. Well, gosh, there's an absolute goldmine of potential things to explore in that single answer there. But I suppose the one that grabs me, and just for the benefit perhaps of our listeners from uh, further afield in the UK, we're talking about we're talking about teenagers here, you know, year nine, we're talking about kind of 14 year olds, key stage four, we're talking about 15, 16 year olds. And of course, we can't get away from the those teenage years, I guess, when we're considering that. And, and one of the things that I've always thought about maths is, it's that subject where it's kind of socially acceptable or dare I say it even socially desirable sometimes to say I'm no good at maths in a way that perhaps it's it's not the case with a lot of other subjects I mean do you find that does that push your buttons camera a little bit when I say that I don't know (laughs) absolutely I mean I I think I've said almost exactly what you said there in every job interview I've ever gone for to be honest Tom you know it's it it is it's it's almost cool isn't it to say that I'm not good at maths. Um, why is that? I mean, do, do, do we know why that is? Because it's weird, isn't it? It is. I mean, imagine saying that about, you know, your your, your literacy Reading. skills. You, yeah. You, 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 you just wouldn't say it, would you? You'd be embarrassed to say it. I don't I don't know why it is, to be honest. I, I know that it's it's certainly something that I hear parents say at parents' evenings, you know, when I was teaching and, and you sort of just sit there with your head in your hands yeah because a parent um, wouldn't go to parents evening and say you know i know i'm not i'm not a big reader i can't really read <laughs> no <laughs> but it's just it's just pushing that it's it's okay to say it and um i mean obviously we've all had experiences in the classroom before this this job and you know i would always say that the, the one thing that i was doing any classroom ahead of any fancy you know kind of strategy would just be raise that bar give those students a belief that they can do it and make it okay to make mistakes and it's amazing what, what children can achieve in a maths classroom when you do that. But the interesting thing, and, and, I, and I think that's a really important bit of advice there that you've given right off the bat. It, but the interesting thing, particularly with teenagers, is that when you put them in a mixed gender situation where, as we've kind of exposed, it's quite an emotional process, putting yourself on the line and taking risks in a subject that, for whatever reason, is is causing some, some issues for the two kind of genders. When they're all in together, that can create some, some real problematic dynamics can't it did you notice any any of those dynamics come through in the research that you did yeah absolutely I mean just to kind of get this sort of caveat out the way really early days in this conversation is that nothing from this research no uh, strategy for girls or boys beats effective teaching and learning for for both genders um, I think it's quite important that when we consider this bit of research we're talking here about certain groups or certain students that might crop up on your timetable and you you are just struggling with those girls or with those boys and this uh, research gives some ideas about strategies which you could use in terms of the boys you know kind of sh- 
wanting to show off occasionally, not not wanting to be seen to be incorrect in, in, in front of the girls. Often some of the girls uh, go quite reserved, go quite quiet, we noticed. Some of the strategies on the back of that we looked at was sort of appreciating and admiring girls for their wit, confidence, energy, courage, risk-taking, and admiring boys for their thoughtfulness, empathy, conscious, conscientiousness, and sensitivity. Those kind of flips of the sort of gender stereotypes that we might get used to hearing and seeing um, can, can really help in these situations. I wonder if we need to think about some other stereotypes around the subject as well. I mean, yes, we've got those stereotypes about boys and girls, but thinking about my own experience of teaching music teachers, I'm always at pains to say to them, right, you know, you're going to be teaching teenagers, you're going to be asking them to put their creative work out there. Them failing and crashing and burning in front of their peers is, you know, a big problem for them. You've got to make a a kind of atmosphere in your classroom where it's okay to do that and and they're going to feel safe to do that because otherwise nobody's going to do anything for you you know you're going to ask the kids to perform and they're going to they're just not going to do it maybe do we have a stereotypical view about perhaps maths work that a it's a sort of very private thing in the book between the pupil and the teacher and b perhaps it doesn't have that creative side and therefore do do we perhaps not consider that enough when when we're setting out to teach a subject like maths yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think a lot of what you just said there, Tom, is sort of mirrored in the changes to the GCSEs in, in Wales that we're seeing, you know, uh, over the past couple of years and heading towards curriculum for Wales. I think you're dead right. You know, when 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 I was in school, it was a case of there's a book, get on with it. If you finish those 20 questions, there's another book and, and, and go and crack on again. And I imagine that's fairly similar experience to, to, to most people's. Now, what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to make changes. Obviously, we're, we're trying to make maths classroom much more of a classroom open for discussion, where we're looking at solving problems in, in groups, in pairs, in a real-life context. Um, obviously, there's still the procedural element of this. We still need to be able to you know, add two fractions together, but it doesn't end there. Once we can add two fractions together, how do we go and apply that to a problem-solving situation? And, and I think, you know, personally, I think that's the way forward. And I'm quite excited about some of the new changes that are coming in with the curriculum for Wales. You mentioned, Cameron, that um, the the first line of defence here is really good teaching and learning. And I noticed that this was an action research project. So I can assume from that that the teachers that you were working with, they came up with some interventions that they tried out with their learners. So can you give us an indication as to sort of which interventions were most sort of, I'm going to attempt a difficult word here, efficacious? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so again, just the context there is that um, the teachers that we identified, they knew that there was a agenda imbalance in their in their schools and in their classes, and they were chosen because of that. Um, and then it was a case of obviously they know their pupils best, so so what do they want to um, explore? What do they want to change? And it wasn't just a case of doing something for the sake of it. Obviously, there was lots of work with these teachers in terms of effective practice and, and working on an action research model with them prior to them going into the classrooms. And what we found in terms of with the boys is that the celebration of mistakes we found was 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 really, really important. One of the schools in inner city Cardiff, you know, the, the boys were just so afraid to make a mistake that once they had changed that or tried to change that classroom environment to promote mistakes and more resilience and positive learners within mathematics, um, there was an impact there. One of the other things that one of the other schools identified was communication with with parents. 
Um, so really opening up those those channels, whether it be via text or, or via phone call, could have an, an influence on both boys and girls, but boys in particular. Other sort of bits and outcomes from the research really were allowing boys to study independently, to allow them to give them greater ownership over their learning. So giving them some choice over their revision tasks, for example, rather than saying you you have to do this, you know, these are your weaknesses, what would you like to do to go and improve on this? And then finally, probably on, on the back of the, the boys project was one of the groups, one of the schools explored uh, sitting a lower performing boy with a higher performing girl. Um, and explored the impact around that. And what, what they found was the impact on, on the boy was quite substantial it, without a negative impact on the girl's performance. So you know, lots and lots of interesting things coming out of that, of that bit of research. The schools obviously have, have carried it on since, um, but I followed this up in, this research was done in 2016. So I followed this up a couple of years ago after the GCSE results had come in and there were some pleasing outcomes on, on the back of their GCSE scores. Too. Just a can of worms in front of me now that I'm going <laughs> to recklessly open and ask. Um, I, I used to teach in ability groups, actually, in music rather randomly in my school. It was it was more just a, a timetable quirk. They, you know, they weren't set by music ability. They were actually set by English ability. I used to find my very, very top sets, my supposedly most able pupils, um, in music particularly, very afraid of failure, very afraid to kind of step out of their comfort zones. Um, is that the case in maths as well? And is there perhaps, because maths is one of those things that is so classically taught in ability groups, isn't it? Is there is there an open question there about mixed ability groups potentially? 100%. I, I totally agree with you with the top sets. I mean, I, I find sometimes the top sets in maths can be some of the least resilient students that I actually teach because they're so used to getting it right that if you if you just give stuff to them they'll just they'll just get on with it but as soon as you put a sort of a problem in front of them that they're unfamiliar with or ask them to work in pairs often I find those students really struggle because they're just not used to struggling because they've just been good at numbers for, for forever and, and suddenly something that which they perceive themselves to be good at they're, they're finding hard on the, the back of the, the setting question, I mean, when I was in the consortia, I vividly remember a meeting where I, I, I basically said what you just said to a group of heads of maths, so the kind of 58 heads of maths, we, we opened a discussion on why do we set in maths? And it was quite fiery, to be honest. There was, there was a lot of opinion, um, a lot of divisive opinion, really. Most people across the consortium and across Wales and probably across the UK do set in maths. But actually, the research does say that apart from your very, very top, so your top of your top set and your very, very bottom, so maybe your, your kind of special needs groups, actually, it, it, it's better to teach maths in, in mixed ability, which I know is harder. But, um, but, but all the research suggests that's, that's, that's the best thing to do. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I had the same sort of reaction that I think Tom is describing here about kind of homogenous groups in 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 terms of ability as a, a grouping by gender because I noticed that some of the recommendations for the girls was to uh, do single sex classes to have a meaningful influence on the girls attainment but then of course you've got the concern then how are those girls going to thrive in sort of male dominant environments and how do you transition from that to a mixed gender environment it's it's a tricky one. It is a very, very tricky one, and I, and I totally appreciate those those concerns. I mean, I, I'm thinking of 
I've, I've, I've got the classes and the, and the pupils in, in my mind with this. And this is obviously year 11, so GCSE maths, a, a group of girls who are really disengaged with the subject. They're probably not going to go and study it past GCSE. They just need to go and get their C or their B grade um, before they go off to college or, or, or do whatever they want to do. And the research did find that um, a single sex revision group for those kind of quite vulnerable year 11 girls did have a positive influence on their attainment and their self-confidence. It sort of took away that that fear of embarrassment or, or ridicule, you know, of, of just saying something daft potentially in, in front of the group. And then um, what we did find, as you said earlier, was that, that a self-efficacy belief in girls can play a major role in their performance in maths, you know, it, which can be, it can be developed and challenged o- over time, but it's a toughie. And one of the groups found that over 90% of primary school teachers are female. And there was a big conversation around, is there, are we sort of pushing these gender stereotypes almost um, unintentionally kind of within our schools as well, you know? Mm, it's a really, it's a, it's really a one, difficult one. That is one. I think I've said this before, actually, that when I, when year sevens used to come into my classroom, a lot of them used to call me Miss because they didn't know what else to call a teacher. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just an interesting one, isn't it? No, I was just going to say the, the, the other sort of uh, bit that I forgot to mention that come out of it is that real importance of the, of the strong female mathematical role model you know can't be underplayed really you know sort of uh, some of the schools looked at bringing in maybe six form mentors you know which are which are strong female characters into the classroom to increase enthusiasm and interest and and that that seemed to have a positive impact as well that's good to hear and i I, i'm just wondering i'm really kind of um jolted by what you said uh about you know this notion that oh the girls they just need to get their c and then they're done i remember really vividly my dad saying to me look you just got to do this gcse and then you never have to do maths ever again in your life and i and it really helped me feel better but of course i was always going to have to use maths And, and we're talking about numeracy here i know we're not necessarily talking about gcse level uh maths but even him saying those words kind of chimes with that initial argument that we made that you know if he if we replace that with reading you just have to read for this exam and then you never have to read ever again in your life then we would probably be really really shocked so you know I, I wonder were there any issues around sort of making it meaningful the kind of authenticity of it and how it resonates with them and, and their life beyond school and, and that comes back, I, I think, to the changes that we're that we're seeing currently. I mean, maths can be a very, very abstract subject. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm sick of seeing on sort of you know social media and stuff those little memes which say, you know, there's another day gone where I don't use trigonometry. And 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 do you know what? They're actually they're actually right. I mean, it's a good job someone uses trigonometry, but the fact is, the vast majority of us don't use trigonometry in our day to day. So there, there is that element of abstractness in maths. And I think to a certain extent, there are some of those topics in maths you just need to just get through if you want to get your C. But I totally agree with you, Em. You know, that, that ability to be numerate, and I think this is where we're coming in with the GCSE numeracy exam now, is driving those maths and numeracy skills that we use in our day-to-day life. So looking at money, looking at exchange rates, looking at... You know, loans or all those kind of stuff is is so so crucial, isn't it? 
And I'm really pleased to see that, you know, it seems to be that the direction of travel at the moment is to bring more, much more of that into our mathematics classrooms, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, elevating it to the same sort of equal status as literacy, Absolutely. which of course Welsh Government is trying to do. But I think still, you know, there is that disparity, isn't there, between the push for literacy and the push oh, for numeracy, is. maybe. Yeah, I would always see it you know, in the schools I was working in or schools that you visit, you know, there's kind of, all the displays for literacy and, and, and numeracy just sort of, you might find a little poster that's been half dragged down in the corner somewhere, you know, it just didn't, it, it never seemed to have that sort of stature in a school that, that literacy um, sometimes does, which is obviously important. And I dare I say it, maybe it's because there are more teachers out there who lack numeracy skills and confidence than teachers who are literate. You would probably, yeah. if you if you yeah. if you gave me the literacy numeracy audit, I know which one I would uh, I would fl- yeah. fly on. <laughs> and that's what I keep saying. You know, I, I deliver the numeracy um, sessions to all of our uh, PGC students at, at Cardiff Met, regardless of subject. And that's that's the key message I always say to them: is that I'm not here to, to teach you how to be a maths teacher. I'm, I'm, I'm here that. I can give you some ideas that you can try and be open and, and positive and, and, and reinforce some of these things so that when a student is struggling with a, a graph or something in your subject, you can be confident enough to, to support them with it as you would with their literacy. I'm just making some parallels here in my mind and I don't know whether I'm about to kind of, I don't know, show my complete ignorance of the subject or just talk a load of rubbish, but there are a load of really interesting conversations in the arts about that kind of slight tension between the sort of hierarchical, the teacher tells you how to do this thing and you do it and, you know, you, you've got it or you haven't, and that much more kind of creative, artistic kind of flowing type activity. You know, they, they refer to it in, in some of the research um, about, you know, horizontal and vertical kind of um discourse or teaching i'm just wondering you know i'm sure lots of the people that come into the teaching profession to teach maths and to teach numeracy are probably very passionate about their subject they probably see the kind of beauty in it you know i had a maths teacher at school you know who used to talk passionately about the beauty of maths you know to to some slightly puzzled looks i think from quite a lot of the class is the subject seen that way in school kind of hierarchies by leadership teams by you know those kind of people do our kind of passionate mathematicians need permission to perhaps get their inner their inner artist out a little bit more when they're teaching math be a little bit more you know improvising or is that just not going to happen i don't know that's yeah what a yeah what a great conversation i mean yes you 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 will have your purists you know who who um you know the the beauty of maths and and you know what won't shut won't sort of step into the realm of the creative part of it i'm 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 not from that world you know i'm i i'm i'm personally sort of somewhere in between 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 the sort of arts and and maths and 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 i've always enjoyed those conversations and those lessons where we can get creative and open you know answer open-ended questions and and use the maths as a tool to actually help us solve and and come to it come to an agreement just pulling on what you said tom about sort of teachers in in schools i was shocked you know i i was a maths teacher and you know in our own little bubble and when I started working for the consortium obviously I got to go out into schools to see see lots of very 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 good practice and and some, some not so good practice and I was amazed that there are a number of schools within our region um, I'm sure it's the same across the UK where all of key stage three maths is taught by non-specialists I can think of a school which I visited regularly where every single class in year seven to nine was non-specialist maths and then they saved the 
mathematicians for key stage fours if they were going to you know add some magic and add some subject knowledge at the end to get them past the line and then we're surprised why students don't like the subject um it's it's eye-opening because I suppose a big big thing that comes through in the summary of your research is about the culture and the environment that the teacher establishes, which you could argue, you know, needs to be created and, and set at key stage three. So just to speak directly now to our teacher trainees out there, maybe NQTs who are working with key stage three pupils in maths who are hoping to kind of unpick some of these issues before we get to the year nine, year 10 cusp or transition how would you advise them to establish those kind of conditions, those classroom environmental conditions for, you know, a healthy approach to maths within both genders to grow? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, giving high quality feedback, we know that, you know, high high quality feedback that encourages growth, self-improvement and mastery. We know those are, are the things that are going to have huge impact. Um, give feedback that, that allows students to think hard, you know, it's often very tempting, particularly in maths, to just give the students the answer. And actually, we know that that struggle, that that's actually where the learning happens, isn't it? So you know, give students, students the opportunity to do that. Providing feedback that's descriptive and supportive, and, and let's try and avoid that generic praise and encouragement. Or is, is that great? You know, why is it great? What, what, what have you done? And uh, the one that always interests me is, is don't be fooled by those loud boys and don't be fooled by those quiet girls. You know, let, let's try and not take those gender stereotypes with us in, into a classroom and then reinforce them potentially. Because what we do find is that if boys and girls are left to themselves, it's often likely that they will reinforce those stereotypes just simply because of the external pressures placed upon them by society, really. Absolutely. So... Of course, the next question is going to be, where is this research going next? Because obviously you've uncovered a wealth of interesting avenues to explore further now. So do you have any future plans for this research? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it's been a a bit of a crazy year um, with sort of starting the the new role as programme leader for for maths and obviously with the pandemic, etc. But I certainly plan to uh, build on this research uh, into my ED over the next um, couple of years. It's it's been really nice, actually, when I knew I was going to come and speak to you guys. I haven't looked at this for just a couple of years, really. And it's been really nice to kind of reread and get my head back into all of these huge kind of challenges that, that, that are still out there. You know, nothing has nothing has changed in the in the last couple of years that I can see, um, and it's really quite exciting to um, to get out there and to explore this. Maybe utilising our PhD students in the university. And Cameron, where can if our listeners would like to access this? Where will they will they find the report uh, from twenty sixteen? So this was released by uh, the Central South Consortium, and all of the work was put directly onto um, Hub which is the uh, the Welsh Educational website. And if you go on there, there is um, it's the NEM, N-N-E-M. It's the National Network of Excellence in Mathematics. Um, you will find the research paper on there. You'll also find a load of other excellent resources that sort of help to tackle some of these problems and help to develop problem solving in maths under the resource section as well. So it's, it's definitely well worth a look for for student teachers or teachers in Wales, but also outside of Wales too. 
Okay, well, thanks, Cameron. We've uh, had a long-held ambition to get a little bit more maths and numeracy into the podcast because we're aware that uh, <laughs> because we tend to call up our, you know, our contacts, but we've we've had a lot of the arts up to this point, and so that's a long-held ambition kind of ticked off there to have you uh, discuss that with us. We we don't kind of exempt you from the homework though, so hopefully you've got your <laughs> your contributions for the three regular slots. So have you got something interesting that you'd like to recommend to? our listenership that they take a look at yeah sure from a maths perspective i'm I'm sure many many practitioners are are already on this but if if they're not you know please please get on the craig barton podcast It's, it's absolutely fantastic he had dylan william on there recently it's an absolutely outstanding resource for ideas you know and and that i would if you're going to start anywhere i would start with the dylan william podcast craig has released two books um fairly recently both of which are right at the top of my reading list for my pc math students in in cardiff met um he's also recently formed the ed eedi uh, diagnostic question website which is just amazing so um yeah i'm going to give a shout out to craig barton Wonderful. And the next one is, have you got anything for our listeners to try? Yeah, definitely. I was given a bit of a think about this and I, I think it'd be nice to kind of tie it into to the research and what I've been talking about rather than just going totally left field on this. So the one which um, really interested me that came out of the research, which which I've tried in a classroom, it, it seems a little bit twee maybe on, on on first listen but actually it can be very very powerful if, if done if done well and that's the actual celebration of mistakes the the group in the research they came up with a a mistake of the week okay so in in their mass lessons what was the mistake of the week that that was done and and actually they, they found that over time it really did help to change the culture in that class you know the first couple of weeks it was a bit of a laugh but they found that over time over a couple of months so that that sort of mistake of the week and actually discussing that you know so-and-so had had fallen for the classic mistake of I don't know when you're adding fractions for example like I said earlier that that you add the top and add the bottom that's the kind of the classic mistake rather than getting common denominators you know that that that's actually celebrated and 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 maybe put up on the wall or put up on on the board and but before you know it you've got you've got quite a culture shift going on in, in that classroom so that would be my one tip that's great actually because I, I think we we hear a lot about celebrating mistakes don't we but it it can be quite hard to visualize what that looks like <laughs> you know, you can, yeah, so so exactly. a nice example there uh, of of what that can look like i think is really really useful um how about a well-being tip then i think uh, given that we're recording this as we're in the depths of the january lockdown we could do with a with a pretty good one from you now camera no pressure <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the one thing I always say to my, to my PC students is that when the commodity that you're working with is is children and, and young people and their life chances, it's very, very easy for it to be all-consuming, isn't it? You know, it, it, because you you can always do that little bit more. But my my sort of well-being tip that I've I've stood by ever since I've I started teaching, really, and I, I still try and stand by it now is is personally is to do with emails because I, I i personally find emails can be quite stressful particularly outside of sort of working hours so you know when those emails come in at sort of midnight on a friday or whatever i, I in the past i've struggled to kind of switch off because i'm then going to bed thinking about that and then waking up thinking about it so i'm really strict with myself now i i i just don't check my emails outside of my work hours you know I'll, as soon as i come in on a monday morning at nine o'clock or whatever 
I'm on them and, and I'll be there straight away. And that for me has had a really positive impact because it's allowed me to switch off on the weekends and, and, and it's had it's had no impact on my productivity. I'm as productive as I ever have been. Um, it just means that I just put myself first a little bit on the weekends and in the evenings. Oh, you're definitely speaking my language now, Cameron. This is something that I'm uh, trying to practice uh, yeah, <laughs> as yeah. best as I can. This doesn't always work, but I try my best. No, so really, really great tip. Um, Cameron, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and getting to get down into the depths of uh, of gender imbalance in mathematics. And I'm sure that we'll have more to discuss down the line with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, but in the meantime, uh, keep well, look after yourself and uh, a shout out, I guess, to all of the schools that you worked with on this project, but also to all of the PGCE uh, students that you are working with currently this year too. Yeah, absolutely. None of this work would have been possible without those um, those eight schools that, that sort of formed the uh, the basis of, of of this research. And you know, those students that you work with and those teachers you work with day to day are the things that inspire you. You know, I, I learn every single day that I that I spend working with these um, students. So yeah, thank you guys. Um, been a pleasure to be on, and uh, hopefully catch up soon. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Cameron, again from me. And uh, that's the end of another episode. So it we is. Will, yeah, disappear now and be back with something else in a fortnight. Um, so take care. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was Cameron Stewart, who's Programme Leader for PGCE Secondary Mathematics here at Cardiff Metropolitan University. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by the multi-talented Cameron Stewart. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. Enjoy teaching.